There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do they want? Where are they from? Why are they here? This is a priority. Our priority today is minutes 11 through 15 of Arrival, and we have with us a guest, Sean German of Next Scene Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. And we, this minute begins, we're back at the university campus, as apparently Louise is the only one who went back to work. Because, you know, she knows all this is happening, right? So she remembers it from the future. She She's not that plussed by it. Is that a word? Yeah. Non-plussed is a word, so yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's not bothered. Yeah. And so we get another shot of the uh, pavilion Lionel Gruel, which I talked about last time. And then an empty cafeteria, an empty classroom. In the script, someone has written on the board. Aliens, see you next week. But they didn't put that in the movie. Perfect. (laughs) It's like coronavirus in March. Told all my students, I'll see you in a few weeks. (laughs) I knew I might not, but (laughs) certainly didn't think I'd see them in a year and a half. But (laughs) We get a long news report as we get this really slow tracking shot into Louisa's office. She's watching the news on her laptop. Uh, After Tuesday's extraordinary events, the president this morning has declared a state of emergency with as many as 5,000 National Guard being deployed to the state of Montana alone. Borders are closed and flights have been grounded. Stranding millions of travelers, panic buying of gas, water, and food continues to escalate and federal authorities have temporarily lifted all caps on overtime for law enforcement. The ATF has put a temporary ban on new gun licenses, forcing many independent suppliers of hunting equipment and firearms to close their doors to the public. 48 hours later and no further development. What's missing from this... There's mentions of toilet paper, as we've learned this year. (laughs) And I'm not buying the gun license thing at all. (laughs) Right? That was my first thought. I'm like, the way that we know this is not American is the whole, like, because that would not happen. (laughs) But yes, it's really hard to watch this film without thinking of Corona. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very timely. I mean, yeah, just did within the first, what, 15, 20 seconds of this section, several things that we can reflect on. But I wondered about that, yeah, that that section on the the ban of new gun licenses, because while in the United States, the the right to to own firearms is enshrined in the Constitution, you know, it's the Second Amendment on the federal level, Mm -hmm. for most things, the licensing is is state and local. Right. I I own firearms, and when I registered and I got a license, I had to, it's actually, so it's the state where I live, but then it's the individual sheriff approves you know, that the police sheriff in the town where you live actually has the sign-off ability. And I, I think in most cases, they it's a rubber stamp. They go, okay, you, you, you know, you've registered, you took a safety course, you paid the 50 bucks or whatever, here's your license. But it is the local sheriff. So I don't know, you know, if the ATF can do that. And I'm in one of the more restrictive states for buying, hmm. uh, you know, for getting licensed and buying firearms. There are places where I, I think you at least need to show an ID, but basically if you have a driver's license or student ID to show who you are, and, you know, there's not a wanted poster of you on the wall, uh, you know, but basically, yeah, there, there's there's places where you don't even need a license. And enough people have licenses that, you know, even if they're not granting new licenses, there's plenty of people that could buy firearms. Yeah. So, right. And this and, and this will come up. There's a, and then it kind of bookend it. There's another newscast. Yeah. You get a little news shot at the end. And that's one of the things that I always I have trouble with when I'm watching films for the first time and I don't know what's going to happen when they do this thing and like. Which of these news stories are just, you know, kind of building the mood and setting the stage? You know, which of the news items are like really going to play into the plot and are important to remember? Like which one is the supernova story from, I can't think of the title. 
But Total Recall? Total Recall, yeah. Yeah. There's a supernova news story that in the novel is super important. In the movie, it's like, oh, they forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So is there, you know, is, is there later going to be an instance where like they need to buy, you know, they need a handgun for some reason to, <laughs> to work? And, and not even necessarily to shoot the aliens. Like the alien, you know, the aliens are sick and they're here for our help, but they've got this really thick skin. And so we need blasting powder to, to get through their skin to give them the injection so we can save them. But all the firearm, you know, all the gun stores are closed and they can't, you know, they have to break in. So it's, you know, is this going to come up later or not? And um, I won't spoil it for folks that haven't watched the whole film that, you know, some of these news items are just sort of setting up the mood and the atmosphere. Uh, yeah. But some of them may play in, you know, have kind of hint at larger aspects of the story later. Some of them, I think, are even a little bit comedic, like playing on, on how the news report stories. Yeah. Like in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I still wish they had someone yeah. who was just completely wrong being interviewed, to be realistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you you know, you mentioned toilet paper, which became a big thing early in in 2020. When they say people panic buying gas and food, I mean, that can be, you know, in this case, we're talking about maybe the most historic event in human history, you know, first contact with alien intelligence. But absence of that contact, it could be... I mean, in my neck of the woods, it could be, it's going to snow this weekend. Right. Um, I mean, I'm in New England where getting six inches or a foot of snow is a regular occurrence in winter. And yet people always react like they've never seen this thing before. Like, what is this white stuff coming from the sky? I need to buy every loaf of bread in the market. Yeah. I didn't get as much snow being in Pittsburgh, but I got enough of it. So I remember those days. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, panic buying of, of food, of gas and food is like... That's not even news. Again, absent <laughs> yeah. the context of why. Like it could just be, it could be it's Super Bowl weekend and the local right. team is participating in the game. So there's a run on tortilla chips and, and yeah. chicken wings, you know, <laughs> as people stock up. But then like, you know, the ban on new gun licenses, that's something that doesn't happen every winter. So yeah. that is more newsworthy. I would point out as a teacher, they accidentally are fairly accurate as to her schedule. They say 48 yeah. hours, which means her class, which the script says it is advanced linguistics, is twice a week. Perfect. It's Tuesday, Thursday. Oh, right, right. We skipped today. No, it's Thursday. Yeah. So a couple other Because it's random... important to have Friday off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. If you're yeah, a smart student, if you can get, you know, the Tuesday, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Tuesday, Thursday lectures, and then kind of plan your schedule so can have friday off and then even if you can get like if you can load up everything like tuesday thursday lectures and do like a lab wednesday afternoon and then every weekend's a four-day weekend <laughs> that that that's advanced you know colleging advanced studenting yeah. for the yeah. you know for the university student since i work at a pretty working class university it's common though more just because they really have to balance their work schedule with their school schedules and it's mm-hmm. easier to tell your boss hey these are the two days a week i can't work rather than mm-hmm. here are all the days a week i can't yeah. work but mm-hmm. i don't think she's at a work in class university she's no at, yeah <laughs> university of montreal is big i don't know where she's supposed to be for purposes yeah. of the plot i assume she's in montana or close to it yeah. And speaking of Montana, because we talked a little bit about the places last time, mm-hmm. a few random interesting facts about the state. It's referred to like its nickname as the last best place. <laughs> and there's a continental divide that runs down the state. Yeah. It's more split than any other state. Oh. It's, of course, one of the largest states in the United States, but also the fourth least populated. Do you think they chose Montana for any particular 
Probably just because it's out. Yeah, you could have large open spaces while still being in the U.S. without being Alaska, because then it seems like it's not the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Because it's farther out. Well, and and people would have to for a big crowd for it to become like a tourist spot for people with TS clearance. They'd have to travel there. Whereas, I mean, you show up along the coast of California or you know anywhere sort of a Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York City region. Yeah. Wherever you pop down, there's going to be a ton of people. I mean, there's other places other than Montana, oh, yeah. but uh, that's one place where you could aliens could show up and not immediately have a crowd. Which actually goes to why I think spoilers. Why China is the one most likely to go to war later in the film is because their ship landed in the middle of a city. Mm-hmm. Like I think all the rest of them are out in the middle of like away from things. Yeah, I mean maybe they um you know one of the concepts in extraterrestrial communication is the fact that we have radio and television. We've just been spewing out radio waves for the past almost a century at this point, but for for mm-hmm. many decades. And kind of if an alien intelligence picked those up and was able to decipher them. And I wonder if, um, you know, if these particular aliens picked up the hunt for Red October. And they're like, this guy really wants to go to Montana. This must be a great place. We should go to Montana. Maybe. Speaking of other movies, <laughs> this is where Forrest Whitaker comes in. Hey, Forrest Whitaker. As Weber. We'll get to his name in a moment. But I wanted to introduce him because he, among other things, I think the first time I noticed him was Crying Game. But he was Cuffy mm-hmm. in North and South. He was in Bloodsport, Body Snatchers. I just rewatched Species because I have some notes somewhere here on uh, the TV tropes thing for the worm guy, which essentially he was one of the experts brought in in that movie. And here he's bringing in Louise as the civilian expert, which is a trope of films. And of course, recently he was a Saw Gerrera in Star Wars Rebels and Rogue One. Yeah, Star Wars Connection. Yeah, I think I, I think I first saw Forrest in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Huh. He's a he's a football player at the high school there, and then also had a good part in The Color of Money. Yeah, one of his early parts. He's one of the pool players that that Tom Cruise comes in contact with. But he's a good actor. He's fun to watch. And then he, yeah, he's here. He's a uh, he's Colonel Weber. Yeah, he's from the military. Yeah, and he says two days, and already the public expects us to know the answers. His name here is G T Weber in the the is the story, or I think the script. His name is yeah. Richard, but oh, still Weber. Yeah, is this where we talk about yes. <laughs> As a comm theory person, I didn't even notice and pick up on that, even though he's a theorist that I teach. Max Weber is the father of sociology, but identifies as a historian. And he believed that for any outcome, there are multiple causes, which was different from prevailing thinking at the time. He was an interpretivist, so he believed that you should study and interpret experiences rather than the positivist, empiricist approach. He emphasized the importance of cultural references in religion in order to understand the origins of capitalism. His seminal work was The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. For I cite one or two things here, just some really interesting things. He was at the beginning of World War One, kind of a German nationalist, thinking of military, and, ah. and let go of that ideology okay. later on as the war continued. He also died from pneumonia as a result of weakened lungs from the Spanish flu. So this film obviously didn't know about Corona, but I was <laughs> no. reading about how he basically died from the Spanish flu when he was only in his 50s. And I found a really interesting research article titled Language, Ethnicity, and the Nation State. 
discusses his view of language as a way to relativize the frame of national society. So Weber saw linguistic community as constructed from Weber's rationalist, subjectivist, individualist viewpoint. Linguistic community was a result of social actions, not a prior entity, as was previously assumed. Mitsuhiro Tada writes, Central Europe in Weber's era was a battlefield of linguistic nationalism. In contrast to the national societies of the Cold War period, national borders were unstable, and ultimately the multi-ethnic empires of the region were dismantled after World War I into ethno-linguistic nation-states. Huh. Any thought on that so far? Then I want to say well, one more yes, thing. Yes, <laughs> because in our first episode, we had the whole Portugal thing with the lang- like the state and language going together. Last week, we had a Quebec nationalist and now a German nationalist. Yeah. It's like a theme. Tata also states, experience of this contemporary reality brought Weber to the core of the relationship between language and politics. A language community is an imaginary one, demarcated not by language itself, but by conscious opposition against outsiders, with monolingual contexts within borders created artificially by homogenizing policies like linguistic standardization and national education. In this way, Faber felt language can be a means to domination. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Definitely fits with this film. And, and I believe that's his name in the original story mm-hmm. by Chung and also Heiser's script. So they, it's definitely a choice. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that how those ideas play into the the different groups, the different nation states and the, the, the different linguists that come in contact. Yeah with uh you know with the aliens and we mainly spend our time in montana with this particular group of people but we see some of their interactions with those other groups and and that's going to become a key thing separate from that is to continue a little in i believe it's the original story this conversation is a lot more complicated because she corrects him on what language she translated for him it wasn't farsi it was some like dialect specific one and she keeps nitpicking what he's saying and she's she's a lot more talkative in that here she's like this subdued character who Makes sense because they want us to think she's grieving. So she's quiet and doesn't talk much. Mm -hmm. But in the story, she's not like that at all. But yeah, that that play of language and domination is definitely an assumption on the part of a lot of the human characters in the film. And what the film wants us to think as well as it goes forward. And could play into the end of this segment too with the, uh, Mm -hmm. we'll get to the mistranslation. We do get a hint of there are, you know, she doesn't say much, but there are things behind the things she's saying, there are things unsaid. Yes, and and the the, the wordplay. You know, he says you made quick work of the. You know, and you mentioned the yeah the, the, here yeah here she doesn't correct when he says Farsi, but uh, so Weber says you made quick work of those Farsi videos, and she replies, you know, using his words, you made quick work of those insurgents. Yeah, so sort of the 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 real genius factor, like you know, she's not just a purely academic. She recognizes the military and, and what they're going to use. Yeah, she knows that what they often they might kill people because know, of her. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what they will use her work for. So, uh, you know, without saying it, she's she's saying a few things. After that is when he says she's on top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. I would like to reference uh, Jessica Coons, who is the Associate Professor of Linguistics at McGill University, Canada Research Chair in Syntax and Indigenous Languages, and she consulted on the language in the film. Because she points out, linguists are not translators. And translators are not linguists. <laughs> They're two different things. Mm-hmm. They both have an interest in similar stuff. But this is on the Language Portal of Canada, 24th September 2018. She says, linguists are interested in studying the abstract and structural properties of human languages, as well as similarities and variations across languages. 
but linguists don't necessarily speak the language or languages they study. And plenty of linguists will tell you they're terrible at learning foreign languages. Translators, on the other hand, obviously need to be very strong in the languages they work in, but may not be interested in analyzing the nitty-gritty components of grammar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then that makes more sense with what you said in terms of that she didn't actually, tra- you know, yeah, why would they go to her to translate something in Farsi? Whereas if it was... Yeah, there's millions of people who speak tra- Farsi. But if it was, you know, <laughs> if it was a regional dialect or, you know, something that was right, different that they didn't have a translator for, then they may need... You know, someone operating more on a theoretical level, a linguist versus a translator. That kind of explains that. Just going to say a random fact. My great-grandma, who was born in 1909, spoke nine different languages, and she was a translator. That was her career, and she was a single mom through the Great Depression. She raised my grandmother and her twin was a single mom because her husband was shot and killed. He was Italian mafia. Really interesting. Every every time I tell someone this, they're like, you should write a story. You've told me this translator part. I do not remember the mafia part. A story about this. So yeah, we're in the mafia book. It's the Angelinis. But anyway, he was shot and killed and she gave birth to twins, almost died during childbirth and never had any more kids had to find a creative way to raise twins as a woman in the 30s and so just started learning languages Hmm. and was able to work from home as a translator and built up enough clientele to own several homes and just in the right neighborhood (laughs) in this country you can make a lot of money doing that too because we got enclaves of foreigners and people whose first language is something else other than english but the dialect thing made me remember because i knew even though she spoke nine languages, there were many different Italian dialects. Right, yeah. And so that's one of the reasons people went to her, too, because she mm-hmm. knew most or at least mm. a large number of Italian dialects. So if people needed really specific things, then she could provide it. There's a lot of local variations and, I guess, jargon or slang that if you've just learned a language in the classroom, you're just an academic, you may not necessarily you know, know those words or, or their meaning. It may not be able to translate versus uh, a native speaker or someone who's more familiar with the local usage. Well, speaking of jargon, we even get some here. You've already mentioned the TS clearance that he says later. Mm-hmm. He's about to mention SSBI, and the movie doesn't like stop and explain what that is like some movies might. We just assume it's something. It is. It's a single-scope background investigation. It includes a national agency check, local agency check, subject interview, verification of birth, citizenship, education, employment, credit, and references. I didn't confirm that it has a certain length of time, but I guess hers has two years left. Mm -hmm. That's why they come to her. She can not only understand languages, but she's got clearance. It would make sense in this situation. You wouldn't want to have to go through that process if you've got someone who's in the book already. You're like, okay. Oh, and this is where I had my notes for the, the worm guy thing. Named for Nico Totopoulos in 1998's Godzilla. He's a re- research scientist studying worms in Chernobyl that they bring in to talk about Godzilla. And then Daniel Jackson in Stargate, Alan Grant in Jurassic Park, or any of the people in Jurassic Park, really. And even Forrest Whitaker himself as Dan Smithson, the empath in Species. Experts brought in by the government to get stuff done. Of course, Louise has competition. He says, that's why I'm in your office and not at Berkeley, because there's someone else they could go to. He plays the tape for her, which... There's not much to it. Uh, some a human saying, "Why are you here? Can you can you understand me?" And the alien responds, "We with its noises." It's funny in the original story, Louise thinks the alien sounds like a wet dog shaking water <laughs> out of its fur. Nice, I forgot that. I like, one. <laughs> I like that one. She doesn't mention it to him. She, she, she's like, "That's what it sounded like." But it's it's a lot more nuanced in the film. I, I 
compare it to the Predator or the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park. Come back to that with like the clicks and the low hums and various noises all put together. And the human asks, where did you come from? And the alien answers again. And Weber asks what Louise makes of it. Not much to go by (laughs) so far. (laughs) She just takes a little time to process. Mm -hmm. Like she's thinking about it, which obviously. But I wonder, one of the things she asks is how many. So I wonder if that's, she's just curious. Is there something in there that, you know, can she discern separate voices? Something that makes her think there's. Well, there's multiple. The aliens definitely have like layered sound Mm -hmm. to their voice. So if it's multiples talking a lot, like if it's a crowd, that's much different than if Mm -hmm. that's one alien making all those noises. But also, she might just be curious. How many aliens? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that. There's. I'm not a linguist or a a translator, so it's hard to pick out. (laughs) It 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 does sound like there's two different. There's like two different sounds, but it could be it could be the same individual. Yes, yeah. saying two different phrases that sound different to my ear. That's why I like her question where she asked, "Did they have mouths?" Yeah, yeah, that's important. They're yeah. aliens; they might not have what we call a mouth, so that noise could be coming from some like dome on the top of their head that's vibrating or some different thing. Something that's coming not out of their skin the pores, anything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I took that as an indication that she is, you know, kind of I don't know, thinking outside the box is a trite phrase, but I'm not sure else to say it. Like she's mm-hmm. asking the non-obvious questions. I think most. I, I wouldn't think to ask. Yeah. You know, if someone's speaking, they're making some kind of sound that they have something analogous to a mouth, but maybe not. You know, she's thinking to ask those questions that are not obvious to the layman. So then Weber asks how she would approach this, and she doesn't know. Yeah. Says it would be impossible to translate from an audio file. I would need to be there to interact with them. And I like this part because like you mentioned earlier, Sean, a lot of what happens in communication is what happens behind the words. And that's why she would need to interact with them. 65 to 93% of communication, depending on the research studies that you're looking at, Mm -hmm. are nonverbal. So just being present with somebody, being able to read not just what they're saying, but how they interact, what their pauses are, their tones are, their how just how fast or slow, partly just not to be too woo, but like just kind of energy, like how someone... (laughs) Or how like a being is playing off of you and none of that she's going to get from a quick yeah, audio right, file. Yeah. And and all that's true for a discussion between two humans that speak the same language. All the, yeah. the non-verbal stuff or the non-literal stuff that you don't get from a recording or a transcript of, of the literal words. And yeah, that's dealing with people that speak the same language. And then you get outside of language and outside of or outside of the same language and outside of the same species that all those things become even more important. And I like the play. She's very smart because he's like dangling. Obviously, this is an historic occasion. And to be involved in this project, you know, we don't know what, you know, this may be completely secret, the kind of thing that nobody ever hears about. But if you end up in history books, this is this is historic. And he kind of dangles that saying, well, you know, I could go to Berkeley. I don't need to be here. <laughs> and then she comes back with them. You know, I'm just telling you what it takes to do this job. You know, whoever does it, this is the approach they right. should take. But I'm not saying it's going to be me. You know, so she's kind of slow playing it yep. as well, saying, you know, eh, someone's got to do it. But, you know, may not, may be me, may not be, but this is what it's going to take. She doesn't, you know, take that bait of, you know, when he, when he kind of dangles Berkeley out there. Right. So free will versus determinist question. If yeah. she does know and has seen everything then is she i mean we wouldn't know this as the viewer but is she just calm because she already because mm-hmm. she knows sees yeah how she this knows he's gonna, gonna show yeah. up she knows he's gonna ask which would actually help with the uh thing we're gonna get to at the end with yeah. the, tra- the sanskrit 
because she would know what word Danvers is going to choose. So she'd know he'd be wrong. Yeah. Although he's not wrong. We'll get to yeah. that. Now, do, do you guys know, you know, Robert and Sarah, do you know as, you know, as podcasters that are getting deep into this movie, do we know, you know, just kind of as the audience, what kind of background Weber has? And I ask because... I, the character? Yeah, because I wonder, like, so, I mean, I took it when she when she asked him that question, like, oh, so if you go to Berkeley, ask, you know, ask about the Sanskrit word for war. Oh, like what he would know. And I get the feeling that she's not talking to Weber. She's talking directly to the other linguist. Yeah. And like, when Weber asks that question, the other person's going to know. Weber doesn't know to ask this question. He must have talked to someone else. Yeah. He talked to yeah, Banks already. That, that person's going to know. Okay, he just came from wherever Banks is and and you know he's he's a messenger of this and of the message you know that question has a message for someone else but i guess that's not necessarily the case if if weber has a background in linguistics maybe he does understand that question or the implications of it i i think from later in the film we would get the impression he doesn't cuz he he doesn't pay much attention to their communication mm-hmm. and the words they're getting yeah. but i think on like he does this in a few hours yeah so he goes to Berkeley and then comes back wherever she is. So in the meantime, he could have like had someone look up Sanskrit, you know, yeah. get a dictionary, see what's right. Hell, maybe Danvers picks the word he picks because he doesn't want to go. <laughs> He's like, I see what you're playing at. You can have it. You can go spend time with aliens. They're just going to infect you with weird viruses. Steal you. <laughs> Danvers is busy. He's probably got a family. He's got stuff going on. He's got a podcast. <laughs> He's he's got a linguistic podcast he's doing. He can't you mm-hmm. know he can't tear himself away. As Weber's gonna leave, she says, "You mentioned Berkeley. Are you going to ask Danvers next?" He says, "Maybe." She says, "Before you commit to him, ask him the Sanskrit word for war and its translation." And then we cut to another news report as Louise is asleep in her bed with an agreement on sharing scientific discoveries. Looks closer tonight as Russia and China join talks at the United Nations. Meanwhile, financial markets across the world are in crisis at the Dow Jones Industrial as the Dow Jones... <laughs> got this. <laughs> in crisis as the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell over 2,000 points. I think that's bad. And it's 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 funny, kind of, or maybe not funny, <laughs> but all the, the parallels we, we've talked about and you've mentioned between with the, the current yeah. virus situation in 2020 and like the, the run on gas and food and toilet paper and other things, there was... In March of 2020, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell about 2,000 points in one day. Nice. I think it was the 8th of March or like the first or second week of March, just as these things were kicking off. And then uh, I think at the same time, like Russia and Saudi Arabia were getting into sort of a, a price war on oil on the international market. And, you know, it was, it was a, you know, a big enough drop that it made headlines outside of the, you know, the usual business and, and stock market section of the news. So yeah, so so two thousand point drops in the Dow Jones Industrial Average is something that makes news. Yeah, it's about for those who might not really follow the Dow or have money invested in stocks, which is the majority of people. Mm-hmm, yeah, so yeah. the the news and politicians like to refer to the Dow Jones as mm-hmm. being the end all be all, but most people don't actually. I think they use it because they know we don't know what it means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't actually own stock, but two thousand. The Dow is kind of fluctuated between like twenty five and thirty thousand, so it's roughly ten percent, a little under a ten percent drop, okay. which in a short amount of time is big. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know when the movie is set, but it, the the year it was released, twenty sixteen, the end of the year, the Dow closed about twenty thousand at the mm-hmm. end of twenty sixteen. So assuming that this 
you know, the film is uh, sort of contemporaneous with when it was released, that's about a 10% drop. Which is, I mean, it's it, it, it's business section news if the market swings 1% or 2% in a day. Yeah. But yeah, so a, a 10% swing is the kind of thing that makes it, you know, makes it front page news, not just the business section. So it's it's... To put it in context, right now, as we're recording this, the market is about 30,000, which I go, to, you go to your point, Sarah, how this is an indicator, but it's also divorced from kind of everyday life. You know, how many people listening to this feel like you're 50% more wealthy or 50% better off economically than you <laughs> right. were just, you know, four or five years ago? Well, the market, or at least this one measure of the broader stock market, the industrial average has gone up 50% from 20,000. And then at another 10,000 since 2016. Yeah. Rich people have the means to profit off of catastrophe. So for <laughs> yeah. a certain segment of people, coronavirus has actually made them a lot richer. Yeah. But for the majority of people, it hasn't. It is very news-like to use the Dow Jones as a barometer of economic mm. success. And then, I mean, obviously, the economy is more complicated than yeah. that. So it does oh, yeah. affect other people even if they're not invested in the Dow, if the yeah. Dow drops. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then so that, that question, I don't know, do, do you want to get deeper into the question <laughs> or do we want wait to ask for, no. you know, because we, we come back at the very end after, because you're talking about like the news stories, but then that's followed by Weber returns with a bit of yeah. an answer to that question on the, the Sanskrit word for war. I would like to point out a couple of things first. I, I missed this in the previous scene, but I like that there is no two shot of Weber and Louise together, mm. unless it's from behind her or behind him. They never get a shot of just the two of them, like an establishing shot of the room. They don't put them together. And then same with this. I like the way this scene is done, because if we had, don't know the trailer for the film, don't know what's going to happen, this could be an alien ship outside her house coming to pick her up so that the military guy doesn't get her. <laughs> like, no, we're going to use her. And it's a really nice moment until you get that. It's clear it's a helicopter outside. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Like I don't, it's one of those things that I don't have a note on it. I didn't think of it, but it explains a lot of the feeling I got mm -hmm. kind of speaking to, you know, directors and, and cine cinematographers and, and what they do and that separation of these two characters. Yeah. There's, there's some scenes where we see, um, I think Weber's like standing. He's got like his hand on his hip. Yep. We kind of see his arm when he comes in, but we don't, yeah, we don't see both of them. I'm reminded of the scene from The Social Network when the, the Winklevoss twins go to speak with Larry Summers, yeah. the, the dean at Harvard, to complain that this pipsqueak has stolen their idea. And there's a lot of different camera shots in that scene. There's the two twins individually. Mm -hmm. There's shots of the two of them sitting side by side. There's Larry Summers. And then there's shots where you get all three and them sitting on opposite sides of a desk. You know, a lot more dynamics in that scene in terms of, of the shots where this is pretty simple. It's, I don't know, maybe not simple is the right word, but it's, we get her, we get him, then we get her, we get him. You know, and again, it, it, I didn't think of it, but I got the feeling of a separation between the two. Yeah. And then as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's what's yeah. happening. And kind of the, the nuts and bolts of filmmaking, kind of building a, a feeling. Yeah, just like here with like, this is an alien abduction scene, essentially, until we know it's not. Mm -hmm. My movie nitpick for this week would be that there's no way that helicopter landed in front of her house. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen the front of her house. Yeah. It's a driveway with trees all around. Right. There's no room. And she has a nice lawn off to the side. We've seen that. Not anymore. Over oh, there. the helicopter landed <laughs> 
Isn't there? Well, no, they didn't land over there. Yeah. Is there a is there a scene like this in Close Encounters with a helicopter? Yeah, where like there's a moment where there's a bright light and you think, well, this could be the aliens, and then it turns out it's a helicopter. Probably. I know they've done that in a few movies where. And X-Files did that a couple times where, like, yeah. a helicopter's bright lights were mistaken for a UFO. Definitely the the light as she's approaching the door. And it's obviously mm-hmm. nighttime. Inside is dark. But there's this, you know, nighttime sun. There's this otherworldly light coming in through yeah. the windows. And, yeah, and Weber, when she opens the door and he's just standing there in silhouette, he might as well be an alien. We don't know. He says, morning. She says, colonel. And he says, gavisti. He says, he's referring to Damers. It means an argument. What do you say it means? And she says a desire for more cows, and he tells her to pack her bags. The thing is, yes, Gavisti does mean a desire for more cows. Mm -hmm. Gavisti is not a Sanskrit word for war. The Sanskrit word for war, the primary one, is yudam, Mm -hmm. or variations of it, yuda and yodana. I don't know how the conjugation works. But someone who goes to war, second Star Wars connection for this episode, is yodha. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure yoda, and I don't think I knew this before, Gets his name from Sanskrit word for war, which is fun. But there are lots of Sanskrit words for war, including Samara, Abhimara, Sangrama, Abhyagama, Sampata, and variants like Abhisamada, Rana, and Vigraha. Not Gavisti. I don't know if this is a mistake on the filmmaker's part, a mistake on from the internet that they took and thought was real, or she is fucking with Danvers <laughs> and with Weber just to see what happens. Which I like the last one as an idea is that Danvers fell for her trick because she asked something and he thought she was trying to be clever. He tried to get around it, picked the wrong one, and she wins. So a couple of things. How did Weber know right? to choose her? She answers and he says, pack your bag. He doesn't know what the Sanskrit words for <laughs> Maybe what he's messing with her too. Maybe Danvers is just like, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we got to tell her something. Well, that's where I started to wonder, like, is this... Is he like, was the question meant and understood purely by Danvers and Weber's just right. sort of a messenger or does he kind of get? Yeah, does Weber under, even understand? But I also get the feeling like he, that he, he's already picked her. The fact that he didn't show up to tell her you didn't get the job. Like the fact that he's here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would he come back? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, he, you know, he may just be interested in, oh, by the way, I, I passed along your message that you obviously sent to Danvers through me and this is what he said and. At that point, it doesn't really matter what she says in response. No. That the yeah. fact the that helicopter she's... landed among those trees, <laughs> that's endangering people's lives. Yeah. They want her. I've, I've applied for enough jobs to know they don't call you back when you didn't get the job. Or at least they don't call me back. Yes. At the least, <laughs> at the least you get a form email. At yeah. the, or at the at, most. Uh, yeah, I mean, at, at the, the most, most you get, get a yeah. form saying, <laughs> at the most, please leave our HR department alone and stop asking. You didn't get yes. the job. Yes. <laughs> They certainly don't bring a helicopter. No. Yeah. I think they should. We should. <laughs> Fly to the people's house, tell them, no, you didn't get the job. At least it'd be cool. You'd it's feel an experience. a little better. Yeah. Show up in the middle of the night, make them think they're being abducted by aliens. Great. <laughs> like, no. Just... Yeah. And uh, so this segment ends with her saying, all right, give me 20. She's going to say minutes, obviously. And we'll get to that next time. Back your back. As Weber starts walking away from her already. Back to the helicopter. We're left to wonder what... Which which bits of this part, you know, are gonna are coming back? Assuming you know, kind of a setting up as if we 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 haven't seen the film. Yeah, already. do the aliens want cows? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, if, yeah, if, if you're the yeah it, on on first watch, you're the first time through this. 
It's a bit of a callback. You know, she mentions this question and he comes back with a response like, oh, it's come up twice. You know, probably the Dow Jones Industrial Average will probably not come up again. No. Um, but this question of of meaning. Now, it's interesting with this translation thing at the end with Gavisti. She might be purposely saying wrong things, just like she does with the kangaroo mm-hmm. story later. Yeah. Because linguists know that's a false story, but they tell it anyway. Yeah. It even says that in, I don't know if it says it in the script, but in the story, in the it story says it. it does. Yeah. She purposely tells that story knowing it's wrong because it makes a point. So she might be playing with people. She's that smart, which is good to know. Yeah. I found that there was another implication in terms of, you mentioned there's different words mm-hmm. for war in Sanskrit. And we have, we have war, we have, you can have a disagreement, you can have an argument, you can have, you know, we have kind of different words for those sort of things. Yeah. There's also a, a, an implication of the way language shapes our thinking, how you think of something when a, a label has been applied to it. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of she's shown, again, that thinking outside the box with the question about do they have mouths? She's kind of shown um, that she can kind of get away from things. Yeah. And even if we assume, if we assume her translation here is correct, and this is the word for war and its thing. She's also thinking less about what is the definition and why is the definition. Mm -hmm. Like, why are people going to war? So she's more useful for the military then. And then she's going to try to figure out what the aliens want. How do we talk to them? What can we get from them? That's one of the fun things that I do with my students in discussing the challenge of communication is I'll just choose any four words that I feel like that day. And I'll say... Write down what you think of when you hear the word love, or how do you define the word love? And then Mm. I'll say, how do you define flag? How do you define dog? And you'll get many, many answers in the class for one simple word. Or I'll say, everyone think of a dog. And then last time, what did you think of? Oh, a German shepherd. I thought of a lab. I thought of my little poodle. I thought of whatever. And when we think about how we communicate and how many words we use in a given day and how just the word itself can call different images, emotions, feelings, mm-hmm. <laughs> perceptions, and then how easy it is to get into arguments or mm-hmm. fight with people about things when even just our very basic words, we're going to process them, think about them differently. differently. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, also because language is, a, it's a shorthand. Words are, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can have a long definition of what a thing is. You know, we could speak like ants where sentences go on for days, but we have these, you know, this, this a shorthand that we, you know, assign a word to a concept or a thing. And then, you know, we can forget, we can kind of get caught up in the shorthand and just think of the word, but it's helpful every once in a while. And particularly if you're trying to converse with alien intelligence to remember that the word is just a stand-in for this larger concept. I think it's an important part that we don't, it's not as useful to translate the alien language and know what words they are saying as it would be to know the concept what is it they want what is it their mm-hmm. you know what is their experience those are, you know that's a more complex thing but that's going to be more useful eventually it's it'd be good to know an alien language and be able to translate word for word but it's going to be more useful to know intentions emotions experiences yeah. the things that language is a stand in for yeah which again that's why she's going to need to be present mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah to understand what what tone do they take what do they think of the person they're talking to yeah and to go back to corona sorry again we're seeing increases this year especially 
with younger people of depression, mm. anxiety, the whole Zoom fatigue thing. Yeah. Because like, even though you can talk to people and have meaningful relationships, there are people who are even married, I believe, whose entire relationship has been online and they've never even <laughs> met face to face. <laughs> but there is something that's lost and is I was going to say especially for extroverts, but honestly, that's not even true because I was reading some research that said introverts are suffering at this high rate, sometimes even more than extroverts with the pandemic, which... Well, Zoom stuff's to... probably worse for introverts because yeah. it's scheduled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so your anxiety has a deadline. Yeah, you need to be present for certain aspects of mm -hmm. communication that without it can be. And obviously that's not the same for everybody. And that's not to say, again, you can't have meaningful online relationships because clearly... No, if your do, context but... <laughs> is starts, say you're on online relationship, it's a different context and you don't expect mm -hmm. things. But if you went backward into having to talk on Zoom, it's yeah. going to affect it a lot. We'll get a lot more about the alien language and... How they don't get lost in concepts as they're talking because of the way they talk. But in, in later episodes, in the meantime, uh, Sean, where can people hear you get lost in complex thoughts? <laughs> My current show is Next Scene Podcast. We're at nextscenepod.com, Next Scene Pod on the social medias. And we have a Facebook listeners group, the Jelly of the Month Club. A reference back to a previous film, we covered, of course, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. But that's where I do a lot of my talking. And if you want to know about my other guest appearances and what other podcast stuff I have going on, if you go to catandshawn.org, that's sort of my main site. And it's cat, C-A-T, and Sean, S-E-A-N.org. And that links to my podcast as well as guest appearances such as this one. And one show Sean has been on as a guest several times was my The Room Minute with co-host Allison Waddell, mm -hmm. where we talked about The Room one minute at a time. And that has just returned from hiatus in December. Welcome back. And you can hear my podcast life as a playlist where I tell my life story to the backdrop of top 40 songs that influenced me along with sometimes some social and political commentary as well. And you can follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5 Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. to think this was the beginning of your story.